Hey, Unchained listeners. As you know, it's hard keeping up with the fast-paced world of crypto, so we've got just the thing for you. Subscribe to our free Unchained daily newsletter at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. You'll get the latest crypto news and original articles from our reporters, as well as summaries of other happenings and bullet points, plus our meme of the day, all curated and written by our amazing team. It's still your no-hype resource for all things crypto, just in newsletter form. Sign up at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Unconfirmed, the show that reveals how the marquee names in crypto are reacting to week's top headlines and gets the inside scoop on what they say on the horizon. I'm your host, Laura Shin, a journalist with over two decades of experience. I started covering crypto six years ago, and as a senior editor at Forbes, was the first mainstream media reporter to cover cryptocurrency full-time. This is the December 3rd episode of Unconfirmed. My book, The Cryptopians, Idealism, Greed, Lies, and the Making of the First Big Cryptocurrency Craze is available for pre-order on Amazon, Barnes Noble, Bookshop.org, or any of your other favorite bookstores. And also, it comes out to 2222. Pre-order today at bit.ly slash cryptopians. That's bit.ly slash C-R-Y-P-T-O-P-I-A-N-S. With the Crypto.com app, you can buy, earn, and spend crypto in one place. Download and get $25 with the code LAURA. Link in the description. Tired of your exchange taking 25% of your staking profits? The Avado blockchain computer allows you to stake Ethereum and other crypto at home and keep 100% of the rewards. Go to ava.do. Wish you could earn crypto but don't want to spend thousands on hardware? Just download the Nodal Cash app on your smartphone. Visit nodal.io slash unconfirmed. That's n-o-d-l-e dot i-o slash unconfirmed to start earning Nodal Cash today. Today's guest is Ryan Zurer, founder of Dialectic, a crypto wealth multifamily office. Welcome, Ryan. Hey, Laura. Um, it's great to be back. Thank you very much for having me on. And I am so excited to, to read your book. Um, you know, I think, I think this <laughs> is going to be the defining story of, of, of how Ethereum has unfolded. And, and I imagine it was, it was probably really difficult to edit with just all of the crazy <laughs> stories that have unfolded. And so, um, I can't, I can't wait to read it. I know it's been a long time coming and, and we're grateful for the contributions that, that you continue to make for our space. Thanks, Ryan. Yeah, people will see. The book starts with a list of characters because, yes, when you are describing decentralized worlds, there's a lot of people to keep track of. But people who know nothing about crypto and who've read it have told me, um, yes, they are able to follow. And uh, through various quizzes I have given them, yes, I realized, okay, they really did learn stuff. So it's pretty cool to see. Anyway, okay. You recently spent $29 million, which is the highest amount of money ever paid for a single NFT on Human One by Mike Winkleman. By the way, you guys, I've barely slept and so has Ryan. So I think this is going to be a very fun conversation. <laughs> um, Mike uh, Winkleman is Beeple, most people know. Tell us why it is that you decided to bid on Human One and how you came to own it. So I, I've been developing a relationship with, with Mike ever since I bought the dick milking factory back in the spring. And what deeply resonated with me with, with respect to human one is the fact that it's this evolving piece, which will be 
which will fundamentally change the relationship between collector and artist over many, many years. Uh, this piece will evolve and, and, uh, and he'll continue to add to it over time. So when I looked at it, I thought this isn't one piece. This is actually many pieces. I sort of looked at it, I guess, in a different way than that. And I don't think the world fundamentally understood how many pieces this will be or just how big this project will be. Um, and I thought that that was, that was really interesting and, and I could embark on this multi-year um, journey with, with my good friend um, who I just really like and, and we get along really well. And then, and actually, before you keep going on, can you just describe the artwork for listeners since not everybody has seen it? Sure. Well, I certainly would encourage everyone to take a look at a, a YouTube video of just human one, all, all caps, uh, you know, one spelt O-N-E. Um, but essentially, it's a sculpture that is rotating uh, sort of in this very methodical way. And today, within the sculpture is a, a, a 3D a moving image of an explorer, I would say. It sort of looks kind of like an astronaut right now, but one would, would, would refer to them as an explorer that's slowly traversing different digital lands. And the important thing here is that this is a meditation on mankind's first steps into the metaverse. And we're all confronted with this conversation of uh, our dual identities that we all now have between our digital identity and our real world identity. You know, human one is the first metaverse native, which, which then invokes this, this conversation and this set of questions that, that I think is very timely and poignant for, for society right now. Um, and I thought that, that the piece is important in that regard. And so how did you come to acquire it? And, and I interrupted you. So yeah, I don't know if there was more that you wanted to say earlier too about how it was evolving and your relationship with Mike, et cetera. You know, talking back and forth with Mike, you know, I, I knew that this was something that was really special that had come together relatively quickly but but he felt like like was a seminal piece in his in his own career, and it's really important to note that um, uh, you know Mike has deeply impacted the arc and, and trajectory of digital art along his his entire career. Before when he was doing sort of you know concert videos and music videos and 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 really experimenting to the the everydays, which has become this, this like global movement and, and, you know, that commitment, just that stoic commitment of creating art every single day, honing and mastering your craft, I think is a really pure story that people, people really resonate with. You could tell in, in talking with him that, that this piece marked a really significant step change in his, in his own career and, and that he, when you talk to him about it, he, you can see that he's deeply committed that this is like another commitment on the lines of the everydays where he's going to continue to update and evolve this piece and, and collaborate with others. And I, I felt like I want to take a real swing at owning this piece as I've sort of matured in my own collection, uh, over the course of, of, of the last two years, I've, migrated away from kind of like 
many different experimental purchases to a few purchases of of higher quality, more more sort of historical importance um, that I you know that I can have kind of a deeper relationship with. And this was this was an absolutely perfect one. So I didn't think I was going to get it. Chrissy's I don't think thought that I was going to be the winner. I, I think I, I was able to capture a a fleeting moment in time before very well capitalized traditional art patrons enter in the space and have the confidence in themselves to make a bid like this. Um, I think, a, you know, a, a, in a future moment, a, a, a piece like this would not be available um, to a collector like myself at this kind of price point. And why do you say that? Like what, what kind of is happening in the market now and where do you think it's going? And, and just out of curiosity, like how is it that Christie's even gave you the impression they thought you wouldn't get it? Uh, well, it, they admitted to me after the fact. <laughs> so they just yeah. uh, like yeah, straight out said that, yeah, we, we were not expecting you to win and for you to win at that price. Um, because, you know, Mike had spent a bunch of time with it, sort of your very famous who's who canon of, of, of traditional art um, patrons and uh, and one would have expected that they would come to the mat on that night and uh, you know and, and be bidding really hard, but it 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 wasn't the case. The the bid, to my understanding, landed between myself and and another crypto native, and so we're seeing this moment where traditional art patrons are are not really yet taking the deep dive. Like I would say, the you know everybody's top five or top seven most important pieces of, of digital art or NFTs are not owned by, you know, traditional art um, collections. Uh, they, they are taking a standoffish approach at this point, but inevitably, you know, they will have to, to, to enter. It will, it will be a, it, it'll be a question of their own survival. Like they're not going to be able to, to, to poo-poo this for, um, for that long. And so, uh, you know, I expect this, this to evolve very quickly. And that's why I think that over the next year, certainly, definitely too, you'll see more acceptance among traditional art patrons and traditional art institutions. You know, where this piece has been the first piece that has created a conversation with sort of leading art institutions around the world that want to, to display an important piece of digital art that that kind of represents their own first foray into the metaverse um and and so as i've seen these these conversations come up with human one i'm optimistic that we are moving in the right direction and quicker than traditional art would usually move in a new direction super interesting so we're going to have to talk a little bit more about that because i have questions but first a quick word from the sponsors who make this show possible did you know that exchanges take up to a 25% cut on your staking rewards? But you don't need an exchange to stake. You can run a validator at home. Join thousands of solo stakers, get an Avado device, plug it in, deposit your stake, and earn the full reward. Avado created the best hardware and specific software to stake and keeps your validator on the latest version through auto updates. One-time investment, 100% profit. Go to Avado. That's A-V-A dot D-O. Join over 10 million people using Crypto.com, the easiest place to buy, earn, and spend over 150 cryptocurrencies. 
Spend your crypto anywhere using the Crypto.com Visa card. Get up to 8% cash back instantly, plus 100% rebates for your Netflix, Spotify, and Amazon Prime subscriptions. Download the Crypto.com app now and get $25 with the code LAURA. Link in the description. Back to my conversation with Ryan. So you were just at Art Basel Miami and you were talking about how you feel, you know, the traditional art world maybe is sort of coming around. Um, and I was curious kind of like what you what you saw there, um, what your take is now on how the traditional art world is looking at NFTs and how that's evolving. You know, I think Miami is a microcosm for how uh, the art world is treating NFTs, where within the Miami Fair, there is almost nothing with respect to digital art and NFTs. There was one booth that was sort of dedicated to, to, to tr- traditional art and NFTs. Whereas all of the buzz, all of the energy that was happening in the city around the week were around the NFT drops, like the, you know, the Rafiq Anadel piece on the beach um, yesterday evening or, or people's work or, or just, you know, other digital artists doing drops, like for example, Christie's and, and OpenSea doing the Mad Dog Jones drop later this week. And, and so everyone's talking about digital art and NFTs, whereas the, the sort of powers to be who curated the core event are, are almost like missing the opportunity to, to integrate it into the core of the event. I think it was a bit of a missed opportunity in that regard. And again, they'll have to, they'll have to evolve very quickly because it will matter for for Art Basel to 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 continue to enjoy the lead or the, the the premier position that it has. Like it will not be the premier art fair on the planet in five years if they don't get serious about digital art very quickly. And so it, it was an interesting thing to 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 see that unfold in that way, uh, with like the outside being the thing that everybody was talking about. And the inside being this kind of, you know, sort of stodgy, outdone, um, not that new or innovative event. There's nothing new in the affair in Miami that you wouldn't have saw in 2019, right? Everything new and fresh and interesting was happening outside, which is related to NFTs and digital art. Well, so people in the NFT world themselves have even like people slash Mike said this himself, that he agrees that NFTs are in a bubble and that pretty much all, not all, but the vast majority of the NFTs being sold will someday be worthless. He's said this. So how do you kind of reconcile that view that he has along with, I'm sure you're well aware, a lot of traditional artists uh, or art collectors have looked at NFTs and said, oh, I don't see anything of value, da, da, da. So in a way, they sort of agree. And yet it seems like you, you, don't, you don't see uh, those two viewpoints as being the same. So can you talk about that a little bit? Definitely. So anytime that we've seen really compelling new technologies being applied to a market, you get this, this sort of Gartner hype cycle ebb and flow to it. Where, you know, and this happened with ICOs and now it's happening with NFTs where you'll have this run. And yes, 90 plus percent of what's created in the run up 
will prove to be worthless over time. But let's not miss the forest for the trees here. And remember that the 10% that does survive will be will go on to be incredibly valuable assets, will be incredibly important pieces of infrastructure and technology in our society. And so this will happen with NFTs. It probably happens sometime in the next 12 to 18 months where a lot of your 10K PFP projects and, 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 and different sort of lower quality pieces of art will prove to, to be relatively worthless, but there will be that upper crust, um, that will survive, that will, that will flourish and, and, and that will do really well. This is true of the artists and this is true of the art across a range of different categories. And so I'm very optimistic that, that, even though we're going to see this flush out of, of, of lower quality, that that's just the natural ebb and flow of technology applied to markets. And, and, and that's okay. We embrace that. And beyond that, you're, you're also going to see other art categories picking up the slack such that the general market is expanding. So, you know, I think 2022 is going to be a great year for music NFTs and spatial AR, VR, NFTs, and 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 thinking about art in this in this more interactive way, um, uh, and, and so the the pie will grow, even though we're we're sort of culling as we go. Yeah, yeah, and I think I'm just trying to remember. Uh, somebody else on my show made a similar sentiment, and it might have been Devin Finzer of OpenSea, the CEO. I'll have to check back, but yes, um, I, I mean, I think that's true for you know crypto in general. And then I, how I navigate this moving forward is the same way that I've used since I've I've, I've come into to, to to collecting, which is I use this concept that I call proof of artwork, and proof of artwork draws on um, a sort of baseline concept around proof of work. That the, the, the baseline, like lowest possible value of a proof of work network is the total sum of the capex and opex that has brought the code base and the network to, or the ledger to that moment, right? And so the, all of the investment that has gone into that to that moment is your like baseline minimum cost. And when I look at a piece of, of digital art, I ask myself, you know, how much training and artistic merit and time and collaboration and and just effort and 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 human resources have gone into the creation of this work what that that does is give me a baseline of like okay this is at least worth this and then i can kind of reason for for what you know how i should think about value with 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 that piece what that does is it causes me to miss out on some of your more cheeky Pieces like, you know, uh, uh, like the pack pixel or like an X copy would like not be a thing that I resonate with, but it leaves me with a, um, a portfolio of really high quality digital art that's very technically sophisticated and future forward. Um, things like, you know, Brandon Dawes work or Rafik Anandel's work or, or Mike Beeple's work where I can see and feel and understand very intuitively the amount of time and effort and resources that went into creating that piece of digital art. And so I just try to stay true to that North and know that things will kind of like work themselves out 
if I'm uh, if I've got like a, uh, that kind of baseline covered in this concept of proof of artwork. One thing I wanted to ask you to talk about a little bit more was your personal relationship with Mike slash people. You were talking about how this artwork will change over time and how, I mean, you guys are kind of like essentially friends. And I guess I was just thinking what's fascinating to me is, so in a way you're going to be able to most likely influence the development of your own, of this artwork that you own. I think that that would be my guess. Um, And it's just kind of interesting because it just made me think that, you know, a long time ago, kind of when there were things like patrons of the arts and, you know, not like we don't have that today, but just kind of in that more old model, you know, you might be seen as something like that, but probably the relationship was quite different. And so I'm just kind of curious how you view that relationship now and um, in the context of NFTs. Yeah. I mean, I think this, this is a really fun part of it that, that we get to to collaborate in this regard. And I, I want to make it clear that it's not going to be like me calling up Mike and being like, Hey, it's my birthday. Like put a birthday hat on the guy or like, you know, like, like, Hey, can you like make it look more like me or something like that? It's not going to be like that. You know, um, part of our, our, our relationship is, is really good because I have a deep, a deep sort of reverence and respect for the stoic path that he's walked to become the standard bearer of digital art. At the same time, it is really interesting to be able to like jam and ideas and, and, and talk about different things. And I flew down there to, to, to Charleston, um, earlier this week and was completely, I'm still like taken aback and like have goosebumps thinking about this. So, so Mike was like, yeah, come down to the studio. And I, and I was thinking I'd go down there and be like, you know, a big garage and he's got like some screens and stuff that he does his art on and, and, and that's, that's kind of the end of it. And he, he does these really interesting physical pieces, um, where I, he, I think really he and, and Rafik are the leaders in this, this kind of relationship between the physical and the digital piece. So, so he does physicals for all of his digital piece, which it, again, it just sort of deepen the relationship that he has with his collectors. And, and so I get down there and it's not a studio. It's, a full on like sprawling campus. And he has, you know, he has a whole bunch of like aerospace engineers working for him and different artists on this massive like sort of warehouse that has all of these offices and rooms and different things and different people doing different things. It, it honestly seemed like this crazy mix of like Warhol studio with Bell Labs where they've got like 3D printers and laser cutters and they're just doing these wild things that I completely blew my mind. And so when you get this, this sense of like, of just how much they're, they're willing to push the envelope and, and move things forward. And, and, you know, and his brother, Scott is a really brilliant engineer and, and very fundamental to the whole, to the whole team. It's funny. Like it takes a community. And when I think about this rationally at this point in retrospect, like very clearly, you know, couldn't be all one guy doing all the, the, all this stuff. Like it's all one guy doing the, like the pure digital, like the the digital pieces, but all of the support around him, like 3d printing these collector pieces and, and, 
and experimenting with doing these like large scale real world manifestations of what was otherwise a surreal looking digital piece. It's pretty remarkable. I think Charleston is going to be this hotbed of innovation in the space as he continues to, to bring in artists around him that would, what's going on down there in Charleston is, is something very unique and very special. Um, so I'm just glad to be a witness to it and be a part of it. And, and I'm just glad that we get along so well. You know, we, he grew up in, in Wisconsin. It's not that far from, from where I grew up in Canada. We're, we're about six months difference in age. And so like from the moment we started chatting with each other, especially cause I had bought something, you know, comical or, and, and interesting, like the, the dick milking factory, we just kind of hit it off as fast friends and just like shit talk and swear and stuff like that with each other. And, and so a huge part, I'm like, this sounds kind of flippant and cheeky, but it's not a huge part of the reason why I bought the piece is because I was like, well, I get to buy this relationship with this amazing human being who like, I want to be around for the next 20, 30 years. This thing will pay for itself in belly laughs with my friends many times over. Um, and so, uh, so that's, that, that feels like a better investment than, than something right, okay, from some faceless person. I, I just want to give listeners context. You spent more than $500,000 on that. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, I mean, you're, 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 the cost of belly laughs for you is different than for other people. I just needed to point out, but okay, before we, before we, we don't need to dissect that more than we just did. Um, but I did want to ask you before we go, where do you think NFTs will go over the next year or so? Well, as I, as I mentioned, I think we're going to see a washout and a, and a, and a sort of migration to quality. Um, and that's why I spend more time on, on, on kind of like, single pieces that I'm more excited about than collecting like, you know, a piece a day or 10 pieces a week or something like that. But nonetheless, the, the pie will expand uh, because new categories are emerging like spatial VR NFTs, which we're really excited about, you know, more things in Plater and gaming uh, will emerge. Um, you know, photography NFTs are starting to, to have a bit of a moment. Um, music NFTs are going to be massive music NFTs music to my to my knowledge is the the largest category of of art so it'll make sense that music nfts are also the largest category of nfts over time i would think well let's see uh you know wu-tang like kind of tried it sort of pre-having the the like the technology to 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 do it as a, a one of one but i think other artists will follow suit in that regard over time and so while there will be pain over the next year in, in certainly maybe in the visual art NFT space, that's just the natural ebb and flows of markets. And, you know, we should be used to that in our community by now. All right. Well, we will have to see how it all plays out. Thank you so much for coming on Unconfirmed. Thank you, Laura. Don't forget, next up is the weekly news recap. Stick around for This Week in Crypto after this short break. There's a new cryptocurrency made for mobile that you can earn by downloading the Nodal Cash app. It's free, easy to use, and there's no hardware to buy. The Nodal Cash app allows you to earn crypto whether you're on the go, stuck in traffic, or even while you're sleeping. Nodal Cash is the crypto you earn 24-7. 
go to nodal.io slash unconfirmed to get started today. That's N-O-D-L-E dot I-O slash unconfirmed. Thanks for tuning in to this week's news recap. Before we dive in, I just wanted to urge you to check out four articles that I published this week. On Medium, I wrote about the Graph Protocol, which is basically a decentralized Google, as well as why one of its potential competitors decided to instead help support the Graph and become one of its core dev teams. On Facebook Bulletin, I explain the tokenomics of both Bitcoin and Ethereum. If you need a refresher on how to value BTC or ETH, or know a friend that is just falling down the crypto rabbit hole, go check out these primers on my Bulletin page. All four links will be in the show notes for this episode. First story. A BadgerDAO hack left one user minus 906 BTC. BadgerDAO, a DeFi protocol built to provide yield on Bitcoin, fell victim to an attack on Wednesday night. BadgerDAO tweeted, Badger has received reports of unauthorized withdrawals of user funds. As Badger engineers investigate this, all smart contracts have been paused to prevent further withdrawals. According to PeckShield, the total loss is over $120 million. Based on PeckShield data, it appears roughly 85% of the $120 million came from four large Bitcoin addresses, which lost 906, 491, 203, and 184 BTC, respectively, equating to losses approximating $51 million, $27 million, $11.4 million, and $10.3 million. As of press time Thursday afternoon, the cause of the exploit has yet to be confirmed. However, Tritium, or Tritium, or some pronunciation like that, a Badge Core contributor, speculated in the Discord that it could be a front-end issue with the Badger.com user interface. Tritium wrote, There is no problem with the smart contracts. It looks like a bunch of users had approvals set for the exploit addresses allowing them to operate on their vault funds. And that was exploited. Once we noticed, we froze all the vaults so nothing can move and are trying to figure out where the approvals came from, how many people have them, and what next steps are. Such an attack, which targets the front end of BadgerDAO rather than the decentralized protocol itself, raises many questions, which a BadgerDAO Discord member named SciGuy laid out in the main Discord chat. This hack has really opened up a can of worms for questions for me. One, how can we make sure what we approve in MetaMask is legit? Two, how can funds be moved even with a rogue approval from a ledger-secured wallet? E.g., if I swap a coin on Uniswap, I must manually hit the buttons on my ledger twice once for the approval, and once for the actual swap. How is this hack possible? Three, how the heck does a front-end attack happen? Does this mean he hacked the server and uploaded a modified contract so when users click claim, they get his? While Badger devs have yet to release any answers to the above questions, eGirl Capital's CryptoCat VC pointed out on Twitter that front-end exploits can be avoided through proper MetaMask approval hygiene. Practicing proper wallet approval techniques can save users from giving DeFi unlimited allowances on certain tokens, a feature deployed by dApps where users only have to approve the wallet dApp connection once, rather than for every token deposit. While convenient, this setup leaves users' funds at risk, as hackers have shown the ability to drain users' wallets giving unlimited allowance to DeFi protocols. To allow this, CryptoCat VC explained, don't trust the site's UI. Take the address manually from the MetaMask data and look at that contract on Etherscan. 
She added, never approve more than you plan to use. You can always approve more in the future. Yes, it costs a few more dollars. So is psychological help once you will get rugged. Square rebrands to block. Square, the Jack Dorsey-led payments firm, is rebranding its corporate identity to Block, according to a press release on Wednesday. Since launching in 2009, Square has expanded its scope to include a variety of crypto-linked services, including Square Crypto, a Square offshoot focused on Bitcoin development, Cash App, a mobile payment service turned Bitcoin exchange, Tidal, a music streaming service with NFT aspirations, and TBD 545-66975, a yet-to-be-built decentralized crypto exchange. In addition to building out services for crypto assets, Square also purchased roughly $170 million of BTC back in February. The rebrand acknowledges that Square is no longer just a payments company specializing in commerce solutions, software, and banking services for seller businesses, says the company. We built the Square brand out for our seller business, which is where it belongs, said Jack Dorsey, co-founder and CEO of Block. Block is a new name, but our purpose of economic empowerment remains the same. Much like how Facebook's rebrand to Meta did not alter the name of Facebook, the social media app, disclosure, I write a newsletter for Facebook slash Meta, Block explained that its name change only distinguishes the corporate identity from the other parts of the company, like Square, Cash App, Title, and TBD 545-66975. And each of those entities will keep its name. Square Crypto, however, is rebranding to Spiral, a term the company thinks reflects on the nature of Bitcoin as it continues to grow like a spiral from a single point, encompassing more and more space until it touches everything. The news comes just on the heels of Block CEO Jack Dorsey stepping down from the CEO position at Twitter, the social media app he co-founded. In June, Dorsey famously explained, if I were not at Square or Twitter, I'd be working on Bitcoin. If it needed more help than Square and Twitter, I will leave them for Bitcoin, Dorsey told the crowd at Bitcoin 2021. With his time at Twitter over and Square's rebrand to Block, it appears that Dorsey is making his summer statement reality. Metaverse land is going fast. Metaverse real estate is getting hot. Data from DAP Radar shows that out of the top 10 most expensive land purchases on The Sandbox, a virtual metaverse game, eight of them happened within the last two weeks, with each plot of land selling between $81,000 and $191,000. On Decentraland, a similar metaverse game, five of the top 10 most extensive land purchases happened in the past 14 days, with eye-popping values stretching from $415,000 to $2.42 million. The latter purchase for 618,000 mana was claimed by the Metaverse Group, which announced the largest Metaverse land acquisition in history, a 116-parcel estate in the heart of Decentraland's Fashion Street District. Notably, the Metaverse Group purchase outed an anonymous Thanksgiving Eve acquisition of Genesis land in Axie Infinity for 550 ETH, or roughly $2.3 million, which marked the largest sale ever for a single plot of digital land at the time, according to Axie Infinity's Twitter account. In total, DAP Radar shows that over $100 million worth of digital real estate traded hands over the seven days ending November 30th. According to digital asset manager Grayscale, such buzzy numbers from the metaverse are to be expected going forward. The metaverse is estimated to be a trillion-dollar revenue opportunity across advertising, social commerce, digital events, hardware, and developer-creator monetization, wrote Grayscale in a recent report. 
Banks want to get into Bitcoin without getting into Bitcoin. A report from Coindesk's Ian Allison says that Goldman Sachs is among a group of U.S. banks attempting to figure out how to use Bitcoin as collateral for cash loans. Allison cites three sources familiar with the plans. Goldman was working on getting approved for lending against collateral and tri-party repo, said one source. And if they had a liquidation agent, then they were just doing secured lending without ever having Bitcoin touch their balance sheet. Coinbase and Fidelity Digital Assets were mentioned as potential candidates with whom the U.S. banks are in discussion. Goldman and a handful of other big banks are attempting to follow in the footsteps of digital asset-friendly banks like Silvergate and Signature, both of which already released a Bitcoin-backed cash loan program earlier this year. $31 million was lost in a DeFi hack spanning Ethereum and Polygon. Approximately $31 million in cryptocurrencies were stolen from Mono X in a hack on November 30th. Mono X, a DeFi platform specializing in liquidity pools, saw about $18.2 million in wrapped ETH stolen, along with $10.5 million in Matic. Other tokens were taken as well. According to security researcher Muda Gupta, the exploit was caused by a smart contract bug that led to incorrect price updates when doing token swaps. He added, the attacker did a bunch of swaps from Mono X token to Mono X token to pump the price of Mono X token in the system. Once the price was obscenely high, they swapped their Mono X tokens for all the other assets in the system. In a postmortem, Mono X noted that it has a $1 million insurance pool, which it is working on distributing. Mono X also hinted that more compensation could be coming for affected users. Please know that fixing the issue is at the forefront of our thoughts, and most importantly, how we can restore what was lost by our community. Be on the lookout for a compensation plan in the near future. Congress plans to host major crypto players next Wednesday. An upcoming congressional hearing titled Digital Assets in the Future of Finance, Understanding the Challenges and Benefits of Financial Innovation in the United States, is going to be chock full of crypto industry heavyweights. According to Maxine Waters, the House Financial Services Committee chair, witnesses include Circle's Jeremy Allaire, FTX's Sam Bankman-Fried, Bitfury's Brian Brooks, Paxos's Chad Cascarilla, Stellar's Danelle Dixon, and Coinbase's Alicia Haas. Notably, Coinbase's Alicia Haas is the only witness not to hold the title of CEO and is appearing in place of Ryan Armstrong, who has been very outspoken in his displeasure with how regulators have handled the crypto industry. The hearing will take place next Wednesday, December 8th. Time for fun bits. Roundup. Big time brands go crypto. Cypherpunks and techies no longer dominate the crypto industry. Every day, Web3, crypto, blockchain, technology, whatever you want to call it, seems to move another step towards the mainstream, as evidenced by three big-time companies making crypto-based moves this week. Adidas times Coinbase? Probably nothing. Last week, Adidas unveiled a partnership with Coinbase, humorously saying that it was probably nothing in its announcement on Twitter. Since then, the fashion company has been all over the metaverse. On November 22nd, Adidas showed off a plot of land labeled Adidas Originals Inside the Sandbox. On Thursday, Adidas also announced official partnerships with Board Ape Yacht Club, NFT collector G-Money, and NFT collection Punk's Comic. Beer.eth was just the beginning. Budweiser launched an NFT collection this week, dropping 1,936 unique digital cans, referencing the year of the first Budweiser can. The pricing of the NFTs, which sold out in under an hour, depended on scarcity. As of press time, the so-called Budverse cans 
held a price floor of 0.24 ETH. This is not the company's first crypto foray. Budweiser recently purchased the Ethereum domain beer.eth, which it now proudly displays on Twitter. Buy tickets, get an NFT. AMC and Sony are collaborating to drop a special collection of NFTs to customers who pre-purchase tickets for the upcoming Spider-Man movie. According to AMC's Twitter account, the first 86,000 members who buy tickets and attend the showtime will receive a link to download a Spider-Man NFT. Notably, the NFTs are based on WAX, a blockchain that states it is carbon neutral, a point that AMC prominently displays throughout its marketing, touting the Spidey NFT drop as eco-friendly. All right, thanks for tuning in. To learn more about Ryan and Human One, be sure to check out the links in the show notes. Unconfirmed is produced by me, Laura Shin, with help from Anthony Yoon, Mark Murdoch, and Daniel Ness. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.